Greetings, beloved, and we are on our final message from this past summer that's being read into recording. Um, you've heard it so many times before if you're following along, so I won't give you a lot more, but uh, this message follows Jesus' life on earth, discourse at the Pharisees' table, and it precedes, or in other words, if you're listening to this message, the very next message should be Jesus' life on earth, Discourse on Seeking and Finding the Lost. That message was recorded on November 12th, so it's already in the feed. But if you're listening to this one first, that is the next one. So again, there were about 10, maybe 12 messages that we preached over the summer that never got recorded. We didn't have the ability to record at that time. Uh, So this is the last one to be recorded in. Uh, If you're reading or listening to them out of order, please don't be worried about it. Um, I I don't think you're going to lose too much, but if you were trying to get them all in order uh, or you're rereading them for whatever reason, um, that should help you a great deal. Again, uh, you can email me, pastorjoegmbc at gmail.com if you need anything or if you feel like these have been a blessing and uh, maybe a work needs to be uh, started in your area. You don't have a New Testament church in your area. Uh, we here at Grace Missionary Baptist Church, we count it a blessing to be able to help you in any way that we might be able to. Uh, and we do this just simply to see God's people fed or to see the lost saved. So we pray that, uh, that either one or both might be occurring at this exact time. Well, without much ado, this is the last one and the and the third one I've recorded today. <clears throat> so I do apologize if my voice is, uh, is, is escaping me, but I will do my best. It's a very short one uh, compared to the previous couple. But uh, we'll get started here. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke 14, we've entitled this outline, The Discourse on the Cost of Discipleship. Luke 14, verses 25 through 35 is our text. And it says there, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, uh, and not happily, but haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and it is not able to be finished, all that uh, behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make a war against another king, sitteth down, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand, to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its flavor, or if salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So the typical hermeneutical questions we might consider here are framed up well by our brother, Dr. Luke. The first question we would typically ask is, who is speaking? We know that to be Jesus. Who is he talking to? The great or large multitudes that were following behind him. What is he preaching about? He's preaching about being a disciple 
or a follower of Jesus. And I've been mentioning this quite a bit leading up to it. He actually started teaching on discipleship, not that he ever wasn't, but specifically on discipleship in Luke 13. Uh, and, and, and it was started with the lesson on humbling or humility. And it will continue all the way through Luke 17. And again, it doesn't necessarily end, but the intense focus on it continues through Luke 17. Isn't it wonderful how the Lord uses his exact circumstances to share the truth of the gospel to the Father? He didn't need convenient conversation starters. Those that were walking behind and listening to his teachings wanted to be his followers. He didn't have to go and find people to teach this point to. They were starting to physically follow him already. So the very first thing we want to look at, and we just have three points, but the first one is the type of following the Lord requires. The type of following the Lord requires. Jesus was not impressed by the great crowds that followed him because he knew their hearts. He was on his way to a cross outside Jerusalem, and the crowds were not ready for that. In fact, on that day, we will find that no one had to go to the highways and hedges to compel the crowds to come in. It's easy to be in the crowd, but not so easy to carry a cross. Last lesson we read in Luke fourteen twenty three where it says, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. After we come in and find salvation, verse 23, we must come to him for our cross, verse 26, and then come after him in obedience to his will, verse 27. All of that takes place right there in Luke 14. Jesus is the host at Salvation Supper, but he is the master in our Christian walk of faith. The following required to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ has not changed. It is more than just a physical walking after him. In fact, there are a lot more verses in the New Testament that encourage the Christian to stand rather than walk. That is the very purpose of the armor in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." dear friend of mine, Brother Tate Pierce, preached a message entitled, Have You Considered the Cost? at a Bible conference this past October uh, in Mount Vernon, where Brother Justin Myers pastor, Mount Vernon, Ohio. And that's precisely what Jesus turned and preached here. Have you considered the cost? Think about all that the Lord addresses here. In Luke 14, 26, he addresses relationships. If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, he talks about physical work and fortitude in verse 27. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He talks about planning and saving. In verses 28 and 29, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish. He talks about reputation. In verse 29 and verse 31, we read, All that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? And then the Lord also addresses selfishness in verse 33. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. He makes comparisons between a true disciple and builders and kings. Who among us is a builder for the Lord? Who rules his home in a godly manner as a king? These traits can be costly, but they are deemed worthy by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The five expenses above that we just talked about would likely be too much for many of us if we were entering into earthly contracts. How is it with this one, though? There's no level of faithfulness to God that does not involve at least five and likely more. And at the same time, what truly compares to following Jesus? I understand that budgets uh, probably rank up there with marriages as far as the most fun conversation topics that we can have with strangers or even with loved ones. But that comes up in here, planning and saving, verses 28 and 29. Jesus doesn't stray away from that. How we manage our homes, how we manage our finances, how we manage our desires, how we manage our contentments. It is a fruit. It speaks of our nature. Now, I don't mean to say if you're broke uh, and, and thousands in debt to credit cards or whatever that you're not a Christian, but it ought to bother you. It ought to bother you that the Lord com- conveys that there is a need for planning and a need for foresight and a need for concern and a need to consider all things. And in Colossians 3, that we are to do all things as a fund to the Lord, that those matters that many, if not all of us, have failed to manage in the past, that they would haunt us, that they would convict us. That's the Bible word we like to use here, that they would convict us of what, where we have strayed, that we would repent and go in a new direction. The second thing he, he discusses here is the types of who we are to follow. In verse 28 through 30, a builder. Verse 31 through 33, a king. They represent the Lord Jesus, not the believer. He's literally calling for the crowd to consider what he has done since his ministry began. Being who he is, should he not require adequate lumber for which to build on his foundation? Does he not have the right to require soldiers for the battles ahead that will stand? Are we the kind of quality people that he can use for building and battling? This is a very important question because God has not called for saints to hold down pews and just make stews. We are fighting a battle right now on many fronts every day. A battle in our homes for our marriages, for our children. A battle in our schools. Whether you have children there or not, you will be served by those that are coming out. A battle for our nations, the problem of our politics, as well as the general way in which man treats man. A problem of morality. Do we act as those that fear death, or do we run toward the fire? Who will go to the cancer centers and the nursing homes and give the gospel and sing hymns? Who will be an encouragement to those that are mourning? Our morality. This is another battleground. Who will be the first to forgive? Hurt people hurt people. We treat forgiveness like it's the last stand, like a hill that we are called to die upon. But Jesus teaches forgiveness as though it's something to be given quickly and freely. That's how he does it. Note the repetition of cannot be my disciple. 
We see this phrase in verse 26, verse 27, verse 33, many other places, in particular from Luke 13 to Luke 17, quite a bit. There was no cannot for salvation supper of our previous lesson, except I cannot come, which really means I refuse to come. Here we have cannot be my disciple. It's a definite, it's a harsh word, a specific word, a firm word. But in the previous lesson, when we talked about the invitation to salvation supper, there are no firm cannots. Now, I understand. I understand atonement. I understand election. Don't get me wrong. We're not misreading this here. The invitation to come is open to all. The dictates of election and, and all that go into the doctrines of grace, those are sovereign, beloved. Those are dictated by God's will, not man's. Those are dictated by who God has written down in the Lamb's book of life, who God has caused to receive him at his word and hear him, who God has done an effectual work on in the process of beginning to end to create an effectual change. There is no cannot in that invitation to the supper. But when it comes to discipleship, God lays down qualifications and expects us to meet them. Third and lastly, we see salt of the earth. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, we, we read Jesus saying, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. In our text, we read Luke 14, 34 and 35, salt is good, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I'm sure we have all heard the witty remarks from pulpits past concerning what salt does, so I'll simply state some facts for you to consider. You, the salt of the earth, salt is good. If the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned or salted again? Some interesting facts about salt for us to consider here. Salt in its natural form, without additives, does not lose its saltiness or flavor. Consumable salt is a mineral compound consisting of sodium and chloride. It is extremely stable and therefore cannot lose its savor or degrade over time, unlike regular spices. This is according to the Salt Library um, research from February 4th, 2021 on com. Again, who was Jesus talking to that day? He was talking to those trying to follow him. Those that truly would follow him, denying self and taking up their cross, Matthew 16, 24, would not be lost in effectiveness nor in salvation. Those that never could truly follow him would eventually lose any resemblance they thought they had, as mere fans tend to do. Beloved, as a Broncos fan, and that's the Denver Broncos for those who might be listening outside of the United States, it's an NFL football team, uh, just giving you an illustration. As a Denver Broncos fan, I know all about the three Super Bowls that we have won, 1998, 1999, uh, 2016, all of it within my lifetime. But am I a Bronco just because I'm a Denver Broncos fan? Did I ever suit up? Did I put in the training, the work? Did I suffer any of the losses with the rest of the team? Am I invited to those Super Bowl reunions? No. 
I'm just a fan. I got to enjoy them. I got to observe them, to see them, to be thrilled by them. But it doesn't make me a Bronco. I'm a Christian. I've lost quite a bit for what the Lord has called me to do. But as Paul did, I consider it but dung. It is worthless compared to all that I have gained. I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a member of that team. I will never suffer as he has suffered, thankfully. Vicariously, I have a victory through what he attained on that cross. But I will suffer that others would see Christ. He's not looking for fans. He's not looking for you to like what he did, what he had to do. He's not looking for you to cheer him on. In the present day event of his crucifixion, he didn't have fans. He had a crowd chanting, crucify him, crucify him. He still did the work and the will of the Father. Do you indeed know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? We said this a few lessons before. It is the most important question to be answered. Is he your Savior? I indeed pray that the answer is yes. I pray that you know my Lord and Savior. I pray that you know him, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would study your word, study the Bible, study your actions, and weigh them in the balance. See who you really are. If there's any way that we can be a blessing to you all, I've, I've enjoyed this time to speak uh, directly into the recorder. It's not the same as preaching to people and uh, in person, but... Um, it is still a blessing to preach and teach the Lord's Word, and, and certainly we can see that there are those who are downloading, and we're thankful for that. But we're not looking for fans either, if we're being honest. We're looking for people to follow Jesus. We're looking to teach you who He is, to talk about Him, and to rejoice over the work that He's accomplished, and to encourage you, as we would hope you might encourage us, to be steadfast and continue the work. He's coming soon, beloved. Very, very soon. Maybe this year, maybe this evening. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? I pray that you recognize that there is a great crisis. Man loves darkness, and Jesus Christ is light. And if the truth of that light riles you, understand, beloved, you are lost. You don't know him. If the truth of the light reveals that you love the darkness, you have a crisis. This is where the word condemnation comes from. And it must be addressed. He's the only solution. Let go of that anger. Let go of that hate. You're not accepting him and receiving him and choosing him and all of that nonsense. You're simply seeing the truth. The same nature that I was saved from and redeemed from. You must be as well. If we're not born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. Go home tonight and read John chapter 3. Read the discussion between Nicodemus at night with the Lord Jesus Christ and see what's revealed. And I pray you might see what's revealed in you. We ask, Father, that you bless this message, bless this teaching, bless this series. Be with those who are hearing it, Lord, that they might have a local church, a local assembly of like-minded believers that they could dwell and encourage with, uh, encourage and find encouragement from and Father, if there isn't a work, give these, give the, these folks um, the, the, the fortitude, the gumption, the excitement, and the zeal to see that one has started. 
Use us, Father, in any way that you see fit. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.